good name is better than silver and gold, and no money can buy good name. I have a good name, and no money can buy my name. Do you have a good name? Then no money should buy your name. I mean what I'm saying, and no money can buy good name. This sounds awfully much like something you might encounter in the Eddic poems, specifically something like Hovamol, where the great god Odin is liable to share that sort of wisdom. But this specific Odinic nugget of uh, Eddic adjacent wisdom does not come from Norse literature. It's a lyric by the Nigerian chieftain and synth funk legend William Aniabor. Now, well, hail Oxal. Welcome to another episode of the Brute Norse podcast. Though, actually, this is technically a Bog Buddies episode, which is kind of this series that we do here on Brute Norse, uh, where we have informal roundtable discussions and uh, mostly unedited discussions um, with the uh, Brute Norse community, specifically the Scandi Futurist Power Walking Club, which is the Discord server, which you can get immediate access to if you are a uh, supporter of Brute Norse on Patreon. This uh, episode is also quite different from other ones because uh, the legwork that I put down is uh, not much at all. I didn't do a lot of research whatsoever for this episode. I simply facilitated a forum for uh, some of the members of the community to step up and do their own research about this topic that has been in the works for about a year or so. I don't really have anything clever to say about this episode uh, because I got out of the Zoom meeting maybe 30 minutes ago. And uh, we're going to ease you into it. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be talking about Nigerian organized crime and its associations with Norse mythology, Vikings, and etc. Here on Brute Norse and with all of this, you know, Scandi Futurist media, we like to make stuff up and we like to joke about uh, futures and pasts that could have been. Uh, but this is yet another case where the truth is somehow stranger than fiction. These are also organizations that, uh, by the nature of what they do, uh, rely on notoriety, but also are probably quite um, protective of the way that they are portrayed in um, often quite paradoxical ways. Anyway, without further ado, this is an episode of Bog Buddies, and we're going to be talking about the Supreme Vikings Confraternity. I'm not concerned about any potential Voodon curses that this might lead to, because, of course, the Scandi Futures Power Walking Club uh, holds its own in terms of warlocks and uh, and uh, sorcerers. So, yeah, we, we know our Faustian pacts. We're in league with uh, forces both subterranean and trollish. So without further ado, I'm just going to say, Aromit, this is the Supreme Vikings Confraternity. We are kings and other survivors. When the kings come, they pass out the temple while the kings have come. It's not easy to be a man of early 80s, because nowadays children are behaving badly. Salitemos to execution of the Tasmarine. 
May you say I hit excess robbers. May the light step on, never trouble against you. Those who dignify you, magnify you. Salute must you, arrest executioner. This to this. Yeah, one day. Yeah, so um, this is another episode of Bog Buddies. Uh, as some listeners will know, this is uh, a more free-form, community-driven series that we do here on Brute Norse. And uh, today, uh, especially, we have uh, we have a topic that uh, that is uh, more or less entirely researched and directed by the Scandi Futures Power Walking Club, which is of course the the Brute Norse Discord server. Uh, one thing that really um, I find quite gratifying in you know my role in all of this is to see uh, how this uh, Scandinavian and, and Norse shit can really appeal to people of all backgrounds and all walks of life. And uh, we're probably never on this podcast has this been better exemplified than what we're going to be talking about today, which is, of course, the... Supreme Vikings Confraternity. Uh, so, Hugo, you've been kind of leading the the research on this one. Uh, perhaps you could start by by unraveling it, it a little bit for us. Uh, yeah, sure. I, let me preface any further statements on uh, the SVC or Supreme Vikings Confraternity by saying, we do we do Vaselina, echo if you're rugged, and I remain steadfast in my attempts to be coded. Um, just a quick PSA for any SVC listeners out there. There's a lot of code and, 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 and terminology and jargon here uh, that uh, we're going to try to unpack. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's a, it, there's going to be a lot of conjecture, let me say that. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think someone, the first instance was someone posting the comments on a, on a Nigerian dance video. Uh, where they talked about being scared of Vikings and their, their spirit magics. Uh, we then uncovered the fact that there is a huge uh, ultra-violent gang with <laughs> multiple branches themed on Norse mythology that somehow spiraled out of, uh, out of the River State Port Harcourt University in the mid-80s um, after being a 
sort of friendly student fraternity. <laughs> um, like many other student fraternities, they somehow spiraled into a massive, powerful uh, drug trading, sex trafficking, um, cultic gang. Um, that controls a significant part of the, the river states in Nigeria. They boast of, how, of controlling what, a third of the regional assembly, people call the, the regional parliament the Viking nest. Uh, there's over five separate militia groups from the, uh, from the Civil War that, um, that pledge allegiance to the Vikings <laughs> in the river state. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a hell of a story. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've been trying to sell this as uh, as a, a student fraternity that uh, that that associates with like officially with like charity work and that sort of stuff. But it's also a gang, and it's also a cult. And I mean, cults and confraternity these these are kind of you know the terms that have specific meanings in their cultural context, as I understand it in Nigeria. Um, but even like saying it like that, it's kind of underselling kind of how vast and massive uh, a topic this is and what a cultural phenomenon or countercultural, I should say, uh, this is in yeah. Nigeria and beyond the Nigerian diaspora, I suppose. Yeah, I, I, we've seen uh, SVC videos as far afield as Indonesia. There's a, an excellent bar fight between uh, members of them and the Black Axe cartel. Um, which we spit on, of course. We spit on the black axe. Yeah. Well, if there are black axe listeners listening to this, uh, we we don't necessarily mean that. But uh, but if there are conf Vikings confraternity <laughs> listeners out there, uh, uh, then then we do mean it. I don't know. That is completely uh, true. Yeah. They are definitely BST. It's, uh, it's as far as we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, where do we go from here? Yes. Uh, I suppose we could we could start at the the very the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Uh, pirates and buccaneers. Yeah. So there, there's uh, in the in I think it's uh, 1950 uh, the, the mid 50s. I'm pretty sure you have the the pirates formed uh, by the future Nobel Prize winner Wale Songikia. There's going to be a lot of mispronunciations. I'm gonna I'm gonna plow through. <laughs> Feel free to give me hate mail afterwards. Um, who who formed the Pirates Fraternity with uh, six friends, the, and they they called themselves the Magnificent Seven, and um, and they they took on pirate names. I believe uh, Songikia was uh, known as Blood Captain Tortuga, um, and uh, I was reading about this. So they they wanted a name that would uh, it was rebellious but also kind of flamboyant and, uh, and, and kind of excessive so that the British authorities wouldn't take them particularly seriously as, as a threat or anything. So they were, you know, they were all, and it was, the initial aims were, they were heavily influenced by Marxism, Pan-African nationalism, um, so, and they wanted to advocate for the poorer students. And uh, Nigerian universities were dominated by um, kind of, A, British ways of doing things, and be sort of wealthy families who who um, who you know early Christian wealthy families who who were a huge influence uh, in Nigerian politics. And it, I can't be underestimated how important Nigerian universities are. This is one of the things I found out uh, while looking into this topic is that 
one of the major curses on Nigeria that the British inflicted was um, a massive overproduction of university graduates. Like an absolutely astounding overproduction of university graduates. At one point, they were setting up all these universities and there's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of um, suddenly university educated Nigerians emerging from them in the, in the 50s and 60s. And maybe 30% of them end up employed and they're all now, <laughs> uh, and they're all being sort of radicalized um, by, uh, you know, they're, they're coming into contact with Marxism and Fanon and the decolonial foment is, uh, is, 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 um, is bubbling away. So anyway, you have the, you have the pirates. Oh, sorry. I... Yeah, I, I just want to say one thing because, uh, okay, so I'm, some of the influences might be different, but um, but uh, I'm I'm starting to to kind of what this kind of sounds like to me is like they're they're like Nigerian scandi futurists or like Nigerian futurists or something, and I think that <laughs> these are some weird synchronicities and parallels that we're gonna see, uh, in in, yeah. in some regards in terms of like the like, the overt use of of ridiculous slogans and symbology. I think that's a very close parallel to <laughs> what we're doing here with Brute Norse. Um, but of course, uh, it, on, on a scale and and with a level of violence that uh, that I only entertain fictionally in 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 my most unhinged <laughs> podcast it, intros, I think. Yeah, it's kind of cool too because the origin is very similar, almost to uh, like the actual phenomenon of Viking. I mean, you have this overproduction of college graduates. You have this you know rush for resources that are restricted. You have to form other ways to kind of move through the world, and they really did that with forming these power structures because that's it's so much more than just a cult or like just a fraternity it really runs so much of their cultural lives because uh, it's it's how you get things done and how you get security safety money a way to put food on the table it's so all-encompassing yeah i i read um a paper arguing that one of the main reasons for the growth of cultism is that it's one of the few ways you obtain a pension in uh, yeah. <laughs> in modern day nigeria because <laughs> the elder members of the of the SVT are very well looked after by uh, by younger initiates. <laughs> yeah, they, they really do everything. But it, it, it should be stressed that the initial um, the initial confraternities are very very different from from what they would uh, somehow transform into. You know, the um, I don't think people could say much much against Songikia. I think they had fairly uh, well intentioned ambitions from the start. You know, you have, they're very high academic standards admission to the pirates in in the beginning and that's one of the big uh, shifts that takes place in in the 80s is these confraternities who will accept any university or even non-university student before you had to be sort of top tier cream of the crop um student to be to be invited to the pirates and uh they're, they're you know they're they're their their mottos are sort of all about service to humanity and serving your community and uh so occasionally more kind of ominous things like orders is orders, um, stressing a pretty intense hierarchy um, within the within the confraternity. They, they, they you know, they um, the things really kick off towards the '60s, where you have the Nigerian Civil War, and um, there's a lot to be said with regard to the SVC about uh, the Igbo people um, and I think you can see the SVC as uh, an Igbo movement to a certain extent um, in that the the area the SVC are from is um, it was within Biafra 
which is uh, the, the secessionist area that um, declared, you know, declared um, uh, that they were separate from the Nigerian state in the late 60s. And um, the Igbo were a, a very, very powerful group in Nigeria prior to this. And they had previously staged a coup. And um, there was a lot of distrust from other Nigerians about the Igbo and that they were going to favor uh, Igbo tribal, you know, tribal appointments. There's going to be nepotism and so on. And there's, a, there's kind of a counter, counter coup by the, um, the northern Muslim states, leading then to the Biafran succession. And this ricochets through the, um, through the universities along ethnic lines. So I think a big part of um, the, uh, the initial pirates is it's supposed to cut across these tribal boundaries, which they again see as a kind of retrogressive force in universities. So any tribe can join, can join the pirates. Then you see this kind of, um, A, the pirates are too big, um, so they, they begin to fracture. Um, people are arguing, you know, you're taking too much control of, uh, of the, res the resources and stuff. You're not letting enough younger students in, so you have the sea lords, the sea dogs, and so on. And then you have new ethnic confraternities popping up, like uh, I believe the, the air lords, the supreme uh, airy uh, confraternity, are the, are the first other one. Then you have black axe. And, and then you have uh, the sea dogs, I believe, splitting into the buccaneers. And then eventually you have the, um, the, 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 the SVC in the, in the 80s. And uh, that's where things start getting kind of violent because, you know, you just, at, at first it's just you have minor, you know, fist-to-fist -fist conflict between uh, some of these splinter groups and, and the pirates and then the new, the new confraternities from uh, other areas. But uh, in particular, there's a, you have the coup in, uh, in the 80s of uh, Ibrahim, um, I'm going to forget his name, uh, Ibrahim Babadanaga, um, who, who saw in the, in the confraternities a way of suppressing uh, student um, discontent. And in particular, the, the really powerful student union and university staff union. And initially, the confraternities still maintained, you know, they were, they were strongly democratic. They were against the, the military coup. Um, and, and at first, he was extremely unpopular among the confraternities. However, they, they, the government saw a way in and they began to infiltrate these confraternities and, and split them even further. So I think this is where the origins of the SVC kind of come in, in that um, the buccaneers were, uh, you know, pro-democracy pro and still had kind of the spirit of the pirates in mind. Um, and then, you know, the government come in and like, well, if you are willing to shoot uh, student activists, we will give you loads of guns and money. And, and you see the, the groups fracture further into those that are willing to, to make that Faustian pact or not. And, and then that, that sort of sets the stage for the emergence of the SBC in 1984. Yeah, it kind of sets like an arms race among the confraternities to be like, all right, well, they're turning away from their origins, which were largely like political, and, and they become much more about organized violent crime, and it's whoever can inflict the most kind of gets to benefit the most and has the most power to wield. This is uh, quite something. <laughs> yeah, oil plays such a huge part of it, too, because especially starting in the 60s, all the oil extraction that was happening in the Niger Delta it really, uh, I mean, it's sucking more resources out of Nigeria and it just causes a lot more 
economic stripe, which then pushes a lot pe more people towards these confraternity organizations. Like it's well, it's it's so uh, well, it's like the again back to the Viking Age too, like the <laughs> the other Viking yeah. Age, not the Nigerian one. Uh, but uh, but you know, like uh, we like archaeologists and historians sometimes talk about like, well, there was an oil before the oil, and you know, uh, walrus products and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. cod too, I imagine as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's interesting, yeah, to see like the like the the. the Vikings, the Viking Age and the Oil Age, sort of like uh, meeting <laughs> together. Yeah, the yeah. Viking Renaissance. It's like a, it's almost like a, the way Dune kind of reimagined the Middle East conflict. It's almost like that, except it's not fiction. It's happening. <laughs> it's very, very, very uh, fascinating. Yeah, it it can't be understated how 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 important oil is in the River Delta, the the area where the SVC is so prominent. Which has seen a particular huge amount of cultic activity. It's, I think it's something like ninety percent of uh, Nigeria's exports are oil from the river state, and 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 yet it's also one of the more impoverished areas of, of Nigeria overall. So you you see this kind of like um, real real anger throughout Nigerian history, where the government is trying to you know basically line their pockets with the oil money, and then all the local indigenous groups are trying to make you know backroom deals i was reading that the, the oil smuggling problem in in the river delta is is insane like you have you have ships where they have a separate hidden tank in the bottom of the ship or something and they'll flip a switch and it'll it'll channel when they're when they're uh, you know filling up with oil to transport that it'll switch it into another tank and they'll you know drive that down the road and, and barrel it up and and sell it there uh, apparently the Swiss are involved. Apparently the, the Swiss were censured for um, buying huge amounts of illicit Nigerian oil at some point in the in the nineties. I would not be surprised. Ingenuity, <laughs> I mean, emergency breeds. Hmm. Yeah, there's definitely lots of oil money up for grabs, both above and under the table, and there's a lot of pissed off local groups who aren't seeing any of it. And and you know that's really the um, the the scene for the the Vikings, if you will. Yeah, this is um, yeah. We got a, a a comment here in the in the texts. Oil wealth, unemployed graduate students. This is uh, yeah another another interesting parallel to the to the emergence of scanning futurism, really. Um, but uh, but uh, the term so. We've thrown it around quite a bit already, but the term cult in this uh, in this context, uh, and this is a, a a term that is seems to be used internally in Nigeria as well. Like uh, it's not like like because usually we talk about cults like you know um, in the in, in a conventional yeah, term, Waco. you know we 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 yeah we talk about Waco or something like that. But like wait like uh, the the branch of you know Davidians didn't really. Uh, refer to themselves as a cult, but this is a self-applied term, it seems, in some cases. Or what's going on there with, uh, with the cultic term? I think, I think it's a holdover from the British administration uh, in a certain sense. Like, you know, the British came in and we're looking at these, these wacky groups and we're like, you're all, you're all cults, basically. That's what you are. Um, some scholars now would say that they would distinguish between shrines, um, which have kind of a, a central oracle or something, and and then other kind of uh, more spread apart cult groups 
Um, you know, at, at first when I was looking into this, I was like, you know, the cultic elements here—they seem kind of thin. Is it really a cult? Are they are they exaggerating some of this stuff? The more I I've read about the SVC, the more you can see the the continuity with various elements of uh, of pre-British rule in in this area. So there, there's a there's a huge um, division in Nigeria between the northern Islamic area, which is uh, which the British always preferred because it had a nice aristocratic uh, strata who were controlling things it was fairly logical and so on then you go down into the south into the igbo land area around the niger delta and you have these um effectively egalitarian groups like you don't even have chiefdoms essentially in the among the igbo peoples and they, but you do have these kind of extremely powerful shrines um the long juju shrine of the arrow people incidentally i do wonder if of the phrase arrow is a reference to the arrow confederacy which was the which was this this group that uh prior to british rule uh were extremely important in uh southern nigeria through the through this long juju shrine anyway they, they, these shrines often play the role of sort of uh judiciary they can kind of mediate between um between local chieftains uh you they they're very very important in the slave trade because they kind of like a they're like a big uh, slave producing homeowners association where if you uh, if you commit infractions against their various religious rules you can be you can then be sold into slavery and then sent up to the Sokoto Emirate in northern uh, in northern Nigeria um, so yeah I, I think there's so much of there were like 2.5 million uh, slaves um, prior to British rule that had been sort of sent up to the, the Islamic areas. So it's a pretty big deal, um, but yeah. So you, 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 and these shrines. There's a lot of things that are actually continuous with with the SBC. So you have um, the oaths, like the the blood oath is is seems to be extremely important in the, the blood the blood oaths. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah blood oaths. Uh, yeah, I, I, so I think as far as I can tell, they call this blending. Uh, in the cult, in the confraternity context. So, uh, if you if you if you look at the initiation of Black Axe or the SBC, uh, they'll talk about people being blended, and it seems to be kind of like you see, you see, like if you go on, like uh, so, some some members of the community have gone on TikTok and stuff like that and found like people, like like Vikings confraternity TikToks where somebody has like a thumb up and there's like it looks like a paper cut or something on their thumb. Or something like that. I guess that is kind of I don't know some some kind of like posturing that uh, indicating that they've they've done one of these oaths. Or sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, there's there's a lot of SVC on TikTok. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's exactly right. But I think it's also it also operates in a kind of manner analogous to being press ganged into the sort of Victorian British Navy. You know what I mean? Where there's the whole you take the Queen's shilling, so someone buys you a pint in a in a pub. And then at the bottom of the glass, you're like, oh, shit, there's a shilling in there. Next thing you know, you're on a boat. And I think the same thing happens in, in sort of universities in Nigeria where, you know, you go to a party, you meet some guys, you know, they take you somewhere. Next thing you know, you're being drugged, you're drinking someone's blood, and you've, you've effectively sworn an oath at that point. And, and, you know, betrayal is punishable by death. And this, this culture of, uh, of blood oaths is, is, seems to be extremely strong in in sort of nigerian shrine and and cults um so 
Yeah, there's a famed incident where the 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 first prime minister, uh, president even of Nigeria, uh, the famed Zik, um, broke. Effectively, he was quite happy to perjure himself while swearing on a Bible, but he never broke the two oaths that he swore in an Igbo shrine. You know, so it, they're regarded far more seriously than um, than any kind of you know swearing on the Bible or any other oath because it's believe you know it, this is directly you if you break that oath you're you're going down in the spirit world if you will okay. so there's there's real continuity there between um, the way Viking and other confraternity initiation works and the way uh, pre-British cultic initiation works I think that there's a major change in that when the British come, these organizations which are effectively kind of like a judicial wing of, of, of tribal governance um, become demonized. And one of the, a lot of people, when I was reading uh, This Present Darkness by Stephen Ellis, which is a hist history of Nigerian organized crime, which is actually very good, um, he puts a lot of the problems of modern Nigeria down to the British policy of indirect rule. And this is um, something that's echoed by a lot of other scholars. So the, the premise was the British came in and um, the, people have to remember this is post, uh, it's 1860 when the first British outpost in Lagos is, is set up. And it's actually to, um, to, uh, to provide a base for anti-slavery patrol ships, if you know what I mean. So it's like the British are there and, the, and as is so often true with the British incursions in Africa, they have this kind of progressive agenda where they're like, look, these uh, African groups, they're backward, they, they're slaving, they've got cults, you know, we've got to come in and we've got to run things because obviously they're incapable and then maybe, you know, they can run themselves in 100 years or so. Um, and that's, and so they, when they come in and they, they do have the preservation of indigenous culture in mind. So Lord Lugan, who is the, the founder of Nigeria, he is... Famed. So the, the book, if you will, on indirect rules written by Lord Lugan in Nigeria, which will then go on to become uh, a document that's used across the British Empire. And the premise is that you, you preserve local culture by essentially sanctioning um, local tribal leaders to do as they will, while also imposing um, certain elements of the colonial code. So no slavery, you know, no uh, sex trafficking, no cults or so on. And the British love this because it's incredibly low maintenance. So, you know, when the British come in, you've got to think what they're really there to do is A, keep the French out, B, um, get mineral, get resources um, for, you know, the various business of empire, and C, you know, kind of feel like they're, they're, you know, they're continuing their mission of spreading progressive Christianity across the planet. So they're like, this is great. So we can, we can make all these cults illegal, and the local governments will just run themselves. And we'll just kind of sanction uh, the tribal leaders, and they can use us as a um, as a kind of court of last resort. But what actually happens when you do that is you remove uh, the checks and balances upon tribal leadership that the that the cults had effectively uh, been. So they then become demonized, and you you then set up this kind of um, uh, system of hyper ambitious individuals with no checks on their power. So as soon as as soon as someone's like you know back in the past if you'd have contravened a taboo if you were a tr tribal leader you know you could appeal to the, the local shrine or something but now they're like no well look this is the colonial charter we're all good Christians here 
you know, and and I I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna do as I feel really. And so you you a so that sets up this dynamic of like extreme ambition. Um, people argue in Nigeria where there's there aren't really many checks that are seen as legitimate on on the power of chiefs. Um, and the the cults themselves are then seen as kind of um, negative. Like prior to this, they're kind of neutral. If you're if you work if you're working with the other world, you can channel these spirits for for good or for ill, you know, whatever you like. But with the introduction of Christianity, um, it's kind of see the spirit world is kind of bifurcated, and and there is a syncretism where they see uh, you know the Christian God as being kind of a positive spirit and and his angels and so on and this is the positive spirit world and then you have the old traditional stuff and then that all gets lumped into the kind of negative spirit realm you know i mean it's kind of begins to be seen as as far more malevolent if you will uh, and and negative so by the time of the confraternities and when you start hearing of them kind of engage in these initiation rites the, the that practice is seen as by you know the rational elite of uh, Nigeria's universities as profoundly kind of taboo and, and negative and malevolent, if you will, which is a, a huge difference to to the pre the pre British cultic environment. I mean, there are some some interesting parallels to be drawn there in terms of, uh, uh, I mean, like I'm not I'm not going to insist on dragging this back to Scandinavia all the time, but <laughs> but but uh, but yeah, for instance, like you could talk about like the you know the Galdrabulk tradition in Iceland. You have a similar sort of like, well, we have this kind of uh, ancient uh, kind of mythological system. Just like lump that into kind of uh, the, the Christian worldview, and suddenly like Odin is living in hell with a bunch of trolls or whatever, you know. And so yeah, it's it's a it's interesting, and also you know that's what you kind of see uh, a little bit with like folklore. In Scandinavia or elsewhere, probably anywhere else in the world, um, that uh, that uh, these things kind of they're uh, forbidden kind of indigenous qualities gives them this weird kind of power, right? You know, it's like yeah, th this is something that you can, if you're unscrupulous enough to to really like. It's it, very well. Dionysian. Yes, I feel like it links. There's a lot of uh, I know there's a lot of uh, debate about how valid like the Koryos was. Um, sorry, I'm just plugging my computer in. The Koryos was as this kind of like. Uh, death cult um institution where you would have these like the elite classes of uh your societal structures start uh you know running around and dealing with these dionysian kind of greater forces that they perceived and a lot of like the malicious side of the spirit world and doing all these cultural taboos breaking them was seen like this transgression just gave them kind of a power within that framework so it's very very similar which is very really interesting yeah, and we see, like, I mean, like, while we're in West Africa, of course, like, uh, uh, notoriously famous examples are, of course, like, Liberia, where you got this yes, like, yeah. general, general butt naked, and, and I'm sure many have seen the... General mosquito swatter, and yeah, all that. And people have probably seen the, the photos of, uh, of, of people, you know, fighting during the, like, Liberian Civil War and stuff like that, and there were, like, tutus and, and just life vests and this, this really obscure your really bizarre get-ups uh, to us that are seem to be intrinsically tied to, you know, their kind of conceptions of of of, <laughs> of how kind of the spirit world is tied to martial culture in in some it's very way. cargo cult in a sense too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. 
Also, like, I don't know, like, if I'm getting ahead of us, but uh, but when we were talking about, like, the belief in juju and uh, blood oaths and that sort of stuff, uh, I mean, this is, this is a topic we're probably going to get to ultimately, but it made me think about uh, the prevailing belief in that among, say, you know, African prostitutes, you know, often, you know, from Nigeria, which was a big thing in, in Europe. I don't know if like how how much of that sex trafficking is going on, but in around twenty two thousand and nine, uh, I think uh, there was there was a new prostitution law in Norway specifically designed to address uh, a huge influx of Nigerian prostitutes into Scandinavia, basically, and um, and uh, a big part of a bit, notoriously a big part of like that whole complex was of course the belief in juju. Uh, and uh, that they had you know, sworn, sworn these oaths basically that uh, they considered to be like like the, the the taboo of breaking those is kind of like what's almost keeping them tied into that world and like it posed kind of a a, a big problem for people trying to uh, uh, you know to, to to run like charitable outreaches and stuff like that. Rune Jarna Rasmussen over at the Nordic animism. He he wrote a thesis about this that uh, we probably should have read <laughs> uh, <laughs> leading up to this because I think it would be quite relevant. Uh, uh, but yeah, yeah, which definitely something to look into uh, for for the readers that I'm sure he would have some opinions on. Yeah, it feels like a lot of this phenomenon is so steeped in animism because a lot of it, like the whole spirit world connotation, I mean, it it bleeds into every aspect of cultural life which is really fascinating because it's so different from how we perceive things it's uh it reminds me a lot of um there's a french philosopher uh jean gibster who kind of discussed and explored the idea of um modes of evolution of consciousness in cultures and a lot of ones that he identifies as linked to things like folk magic are he calls them the archaic structures or magic structures where the, the relationship between objects is, I mean, you look at sympathetic magic, it's not seen in the sense of like space and time, it's seen in the sense of meaning and recognition. So an object can literally be the same as what it's intending to represent. And a lot of that gets brought up in, um, in practices like juju. Uh, a lot of it is also present in more like more European traditions that kind of mirror it in some sense, like say they're to an extent, um, say they're gets conflated with a lot of things these days, but uh, it's I see it as being kind of similar, which is again, it's these two parallel lines and separated by such vast stretches of geography and time. It's really cool to see them both pop up like that. Yeah, I mean the yeah the 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 basic like um, suppositions seem to be um, very closely aligned. Uh, yeah, I, I love the the folk magical kind of uh, angle to this and you know sympathetic magic. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, they can use. The Seder is interesting too, yeah, because you know, pulling resources or yeah, this the yeah, it's not quite, quite not quite the same, but I think like the underlying kind of yes, yeah, underlying kind of uh, engine seems to be yeah the yeah the drivers mm. yeah well the the one of the first uh, paragraphs of that um, book I was reading on Nigerian crimes is that one of the prerequisites for analyzing crime in Nigeria is an understanding of the spirit world. Nigerians have thought and generally still believe today that wealth and prosperity have their ultimate origins in the spirit world 
and that no one can succeed in their career, criminal or otherwise, without securing blessings from the other world. And I do think, you know, if you if you gave, so a, lot, a large part of that book is on the preponderance of uh, Nigerian email scamming. And basically the argument he makes is if you gave a, a tribal shaman access to the internet, um, and their job was to, to kind of conjure material wealth, it's quite likely you'd end up with something like the, the you know, Nigerian print scams, which incidentally the first example of that is in the 1930s uh, from a guy who calls himself Pro the Professor of Wonders. And, and, um, and he wrote the, the very first uh, Nigerian print scam to con some, uh, some American um, industrialists out of, out of a large amount of cash. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a long and, and hallowed tradition. I did want to mention as well, on the, on, when you mentioned um, the Dionysiac elements, there is actually, uh, from the, 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 of the other book I was reading, The Power of Ritual in Prehistory by Brian Hayden, uh, he mentions that Nigeria is unique in having one of the only African female um, secret societies. Uh, I think they're called the Akete. I'm sure this, this comes up in that... Um, text you mentioned Eric, but um but they um they they have very like maynard like behavior where they will kind of supposedly you know suddenly roam around and tear men apart so the the, the dionysiac connections are, are remarked upon actually quite um, yeah like the, the frenzied madness mm. Mm. and uh that that's also another element of um of the the sex trafficking um, which is again brought up in the book because Nigeria has always been a, a hub of sex trafficking, precisely because, as you said, Eric, these these um, juju oaths are believed to have immense power, and so you could kind of forcibly, forcibly, you know, blood swear or kind of you know abduct and, and force them to go through some kind of initiation and then ship people off. Uh, the Nigerian case is kind of unique because some of the early um, instances of that are run by sort of secret societies and cult groups run by elderly former prostitutes so you know say what you like about the the cultic scene in nigeria it's not as not quite as patriarchal as uh, as the rest of africa in that sense at least big aside but i i, I seem to remember that there are uh, just lurking say facebook and stuff like that there seems to every now and then there are always nigerian thelemites trying to figure out how to get initiated and stuff like that which is up and probably neither here nor there, but it's a kind of an interesting, interesting that, that there seems to be kind of like this uh, this strong cultural undercurrent in that country overall. Yeah, I wonder how much of that too. I mean, Nigeria is kind of commonly known as being uh, the government is quite corrupt. Um, I wonder how much of that penetrates upward into uh, like outward. I mean, specifically the SVCs from. Uh, like an area in the Niger Delta, but the larger kind of cultural phenomena of confraternities that has to be, I imagine, linked in some way. I mean, it's got to penetrate so deep. Well, I, you know, it's in, I found an example of a um, of a cult group uh, in 1914. Um, so far before any of the confraternities becoming um, become, renaming themselves a confraternity. Um, I'll, I'll find out the name of this group. Uh, ah, the Obong, Obogni Society um, was a, a sort of another one of these traditional religious shrines, 
and they actually they they rebranded themselves when when uh, when a large number of them became Christian. And incidentally, early on, basically none of these of these shrine members saw any uh, contradiction in being both a, a Christian priest and a member of of the local shrine. Uh, gradually, they began to take some of the Christian Christian stuff more seriously, and you get this kind of splintering. Uh, but yeah, you, as early as 1914, you, you see um, Nigerian cult renaming themselves confraternities and, and representing themselves as these kind of fraternal brotherhood orders of uh, of this and that that are, that are entirely acceptable within um, you know good rational Christian culture. Uh, basically, on par with the Franciscans. Is it more like the Masons? Yeah, it yeah. kind of has that aspect too, because there's the more like public facing side of it, and then undercurrents. I mean, especially with Masons, all the their conspiracy theory placeholders. I'd love to hear more about the the like the lingo and the the imagery and the general like mimetic qualities of uh, like the like the this all of this encountering the internet. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's part of the Scanda Futurist like connection as well. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Such a key and exciting part of the the whole subject. The way that these kind of bro Sartre memes are just taken entirely seriously in <laughs> in in the Nigerian context, and you know people are you know. Well, you have to explain a little bit, like the so first of all, like memes are a big part of 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 the way that they SPC culture. It's huge. Yeah. It's it's so it's so crazy, and they're good. Like it's always based around specific. Like um, let me try and find the specific rum brand that they love. Uh, especially it's quite codified. Yeah, I, I tried yes. to look into. I tried to look into if this uh, rum brand is. Um, available for sale in the US. I could not find any indication that it was. But it seems to be a local rum brand in Nigeria. So it's yeah, kind of like it. it's kind of like how like in Quadrant, no yeah. in Norway you have like every town is like refuses to drink anything but it's regional brewery kind of, you know, if they're drinking just pilsners. Uh so it's kind of like that. But I think that rum is also like attached to, you know, it has that the pirate vibe, right? You know, so it's Yeah, because I mean it's their like origins too, because it's it's that fusion of Pirate and Viking, you get you both you get both Odin and Longships, and you get crossbow or crossbones and eye patches and rum, and it's such a cool fusion. Yeah, I, I've been trying to pass out what exactly is kind of pre-Viking, so belongs to kind of the buccaneer and pirate confraternities that the that the Viking lineage emerges from, and how much is kind of later Viking additions. I'm pretty sure rugged, so rugged, ruggedity. Uh, is is a big word. Uh, you need to stay rugged. You need to, uh, you know, presumably you're you're independent. You're a sailor. You you don't hang a leg, which is another phrase I think comes from the uh, the pirate tradition. You're gonna anchor yourself. That's uh, yeah. one of their. What does that mean? Anchor yourself. Ooh, probably you know, stay steadfast in the. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, that, you know, I'm not. I ha I'm not sure about that one. Um, keep, keep your anchor, no cap. Cap is big too. They use that all the time. Oh yeah, Cap yeah. and German, German and Iceland. Those two are also huge. Yeah, Those... Iceland is like because of course everything is coded, you know, as we've said. But Iceland, what does that mean? Like a meeting or something like that? Was that? I think it's like That's... desk and meeting place, right? That is definitely a um, a Viking addition to the lingo. So anywhere can be Iceland. 
Um, it's just what you call the meeting place of the SVC. Um, and amusingly, I have seen memes where people just post the, the logo for the English supermarket, Iceland, <laughs> um, <laughs> to refer to these meetings. Um, and uh, I, they also talk about Panama and the, the, the end of, a, you know, you've got, to, you've got to get to Panama and we're all on a journey to Panama. And I'm not sure if Panama is standing in for Valhalla or if that is, is some kind of holdover from the pirate days. I, I haven't been able to, to get too far into the origins of the phrase about Panama. I mean, it could honestly be a fusion of both. It sounds like it's used in both kind of content. I mean, the Panama location itself definitely is a throw-in from the old Viking days, but then we're all going to Panama. It kind of has that feel of the final destination for the group. That's why you're there. Yeah, that, that, that's true. It's, kind of, it's definitely some kind of end goal. You know, it's not just a, a casual waypoint. It's the, you know, you're really striving to get to Panama. Uh, yeah. The Germans, that's... Um, I, mean, I think that you know the Vi they seem to be vaguely aware that the Vikings have uh, Germanic connections, and and Germans is also a a code another name for members of the of the one of the various uh, street groups, the Street and Creek group set up um, by the SVC to kind of fight against their rivals early on in the 90s, the Icelanders. Um, which are, again, one of these street groups are referred to as Germans, I believe. So uh, if you're German in the SVC, you're an Icelander. You're one of the sort of frontline fighters, the, the shock troops, if you will. So within the organization, you know, I assume there are various levels or degrees. Do you guys know, like, are there certain phrases that you only know at a certain level, like like a mason handshake? Like I'm just reading one here from from someone's Facebook. Aro, my king and Vikings. Salutamas, you all rugged German beast, your dynamous spirit. Queen soulmate, are you sighted? For it's capo, benzema, benzema, no mate. How poisonous a snack is has nothing to do with the back of toitos. It is capo, cap less and observe more. Like. Is most of this just like saying I'm part of the group, or or are there like deeper levels of communication that are happening here that are that are obscure to me? I would imagine there's probably deeper lingo. The deeper you go, it gets more more coded and more convoluted. I think you you can clearly see evidence of that on the various um, Facebook pages where people will say, you know, what are the eight legs of Odin, and uh, and then people will try and answer, and you know, and then and then people will comment, you're wise, on uh, on maybe the correct one. There's a variety that yeah. So what are the eight legs of Odin? What is what are the four walls of Tankata? I have no idea. I've, I've been searching high and wide for evidence on the four walls of Tankata. If you are an a Nigerian Viking, please phone in. And yeah. tell me. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you, what is your vacintical stagger? I do not know what that means. Um, and, and no one is willing to explain. It's just sort of very nod, nod, wink, wink, nudge, nudge references to what that means. So I can only assume all of these are kind of like higher level lingo that we're, we're not really going to be going to be privy to on the yeah. social media sites. It also amazes me that they actually kind of take from like some of the, I mean, relatively deeper aspects of Norse culture. I mean, if you're somebody in Nigeria, I mean, it's relatively hard to I imagine look around for the details of like Sleipnir's eight legs or how uh, the, the comments under posts being like, you are so wise. That reminds me a lot of like uh, encounters like with Bafudnir, the lays with the giants. 
Yeah, there, there's, there's, references, there's references to the book of Prince Odin. So I, I oh, know, yeah. <laughs> I hope this is this is uncovered one day. We can we can yeah. read the true the true words of Prince Odin. Uh, yeah, but, because that's a set phrase, Prince Odin, uh, whatever that means. Uh, but what, what is because Odin is a recurring character more than any other deity, as far as I understand. But uh, um, yeah, have you been able to really like uh, um, get to the bottom of like what the function of 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 Odin is in the Supreme Vikings confraternity? He, I, I, he's usually just referred to as a ruler. You know, what I mean, like a like a powerful a powerful king. Essentially, and I, I'm. It's 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 hard to tell. Yeah, as you say, there's like some like weirdly deep seeming references. Like like why, for example, are, are they using the phrase emeritus like all the time? Like <laughs> when when did this enter enter into the the discourse there? I, I, so I don't know. I, I I haven't seen too much discussion of. Um, of what, how Odin actually functions in the group. I, I think we can imagine, based on what I've been reading about pre-British Nigerian cults and stuff, that Odin is seen as a spirit world deity of some sort who has the capability to enforce pacts and oaths made. So, you know, in the same way that sort of, you know, Christianity comes in, all these traditional deities get relegated to sort of malevolent entities in the spirit world, Odin is this is is perfectly capable of being incorporated into that framework as you know another kind of powerful spirit world entity who's capable of enforcing bargains. So I'd imagine he functions in a ritual context like that, um, and on the kind of social media site level, he's just seen as kind of a powerful ruler to emulate. I I'm, I haven't seen much more theological discussion among among Vikings. I'm, I'm afraid to report. I mean, that's almost incredible in itself, like the binding, unbinding pact, Odin connection, like, yeah, it's, I'm sure not, probably, you know, not <laughs> with any, let's say, ex explicit conscious scholarly basis, but definitely a kind of a weird hyperstitional one, maybe. What's interesting too is they they invoke him in both contexts because they have that public facing side where, I mean, I'm even, I'm just scrolling through their, one of their Facebook pages and they have to have that side, that public-facing side that says, like, we're against cultism, this is just like a fellowship, an organization. And in those contexts, they invoke Odin as, like, this kingly, like, like you have to be a good man to your community and your family. But then he's also invoked on those darker, kind of more interior sides of, you know, the more, like, bloody king who's leading these groups uh, as, like, a powerful leader to emulate uh, and to kind of enforce blood pacts. It's... It's used both ways, which is really, uh, really fascinating. Yeah, in terms of like the, I don't know, like uh, what is it even? Could you even call it syncretistic at the? Yeah, maybe you could. I don't know. But uh, my only point of reference here, of course, is like um, you know, I've never really like had a conversation of like like juju and like voodoo or something like that with uh, somebody from Africa, and I'm sure like the Afro Caribbean tradition, you know, is you know, quite its own uh, beast in some 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 ways. But, you know, I did, I have had uh, experiences with, like, Afro-Caribbean, like, Vudon people. At my former job, there was a security guard 
who was uh, really into that sort of stuff. And um, uh, me being me, you know, completely uh, unable to to shut up about my fascinations, you know, I got really like, became like my entire relationship to this person at work was like all, all of our conversations were, at work was were about like basically voodoo and paganism, Norse mythology and stuff like that. And they seemed very like eager actually to, um, uh, to, to, uh, to draw parallels between uh, you know, what they've thought of as, you know, I don't know, like my, my tradition and like my roots and stuff like that. And, and the role they like, they like this person basically considered like all of that stuff to be one and same and different kind of manifestations. So if there's, if it's anything like that at all, then of course, yeah, it's, it's quite pliable. <laughs> you know, you could just like put it like an aesthetically, philosophically, uh, justify the figure of Odin, just like smack him right down there in that Nigerian context. Yeah, but well, there's definitely a history in, in um, you know, West African uh, diaspora religions like uh, Candoble and some of who, which I believe incorporate various members of the of the Greek pantheon, among others. So, you know, they're quite they're quite willing, as, as far as I can tell, to sort of chuck everything in there. Um, you also have, which I was very amused to see, uh, references to the, the sort of Hindu Viking perennial axis every so often on uh, on some of the uh, on some of the SBC Facebook pages. So uh, you have you have what was it the, the Crocs Marine Patrol, uh, which is a subgroup of Niger Catalina, which is uh, how I believe the SBC is known in Italian drug dealing circles. Uh, they say seven seven is around the corner. Let all Norsemen be on their maximum weeders. The days are evil, and India is sacramental. And below that, you have a picture of an Indian man tapping his heart with uh, the phrase, anchor your ship traditionally, and then cap traditional. So, you know, we can only assume that the SBC are traditionalist perennialists you know really who, who <laughs> <we> see <laughs> clear continuity between uh between indian uh hindu traditions and the viking world. well uh i mean it's uh, uh <laughs> you know they they must be getting some of their you know they're getting some of their cues from online so i think that at some point it's uh, inevitable that uh, that the the Supreme Vikings confraternity and the kind of Indo-European essentialists, uh, people who are, are completely like like drunk off of a comparative mythology that they meet somewhere. There there must be some kind yeah. of certain space certain where channels. they yeah, and that I mean that could could be a beautiful thing to observe <laughs> <laughs> for somebody like us. See, uh, yeah. I'd like to see Tom Rousel interact with the SBC. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did try and post on uh, Nairaland, uh, the sort of Nigerian forum where a lot of this gets discussed. And I, unfortunately, no one responded to my my invitation to discuss the Supreme Vikings competency. I, I will continue to try. And, uh, you know, if anyone agrees to an interview, maybe we can get you can get them on. Oh, I wish. That would be so cool. <laughs> Somebody who has a very good, like, meta perspective of what they're in. And I'm like, yeah, I can hop in Discord and tell you guys all about it for an hour. I yeah, if, if any, if any, if anybody's willing to, you don't have to make your identity known. We don't need to know who you are. But if you're, if you're willing to talk at length about the the inner workings of the Vikings uh, confraternity, then then 
for sure that's a no-brainer content right yeah. there i feel like we, we we kind of capped off our my um description of the the rise of the the supreme vikings with uh their their formation in in 1984. Mm -hmm. uh so i thought i'd just quickly interject about like what happened after then um so following the the um the nigerian civil war the igbo people after having attempted to sort of succeed from uh, nigerian form biafra uh were kind of closed out of of government uh, positions essentially so you see a large movement of kind of the igbo elite into um into criminal organizations at this point and then as i said you have uh the the, the coup government uh, kind of using uh the various confraternities to suppress um dissent within with the universities now uh, after uh, after this you have basically cultism gets out of hand there's there's murders there's rapes all across the nigerian university system there's hundreds of thousands of people involved and you have kind of a, a national movement among students to renounce cultism and you have a cultism amnesty uh, brought in by the president in sort of the late 80s and the premise of that is like you know if you want to remain a student renounce you can come out you can you can uh you can renounce your membership of the supreme vikings and so on and uh, and you can remain in the university what this does is it drives uh, the Vikings, among others, out of the universities and into residential neighborhoods, in especially in the Niger Delta area. And uh, this this seems to happen a lot in Nigerian politics. Like you drive, you know, these these kind of groups out of some area, and you'll then force them to like go to ground and become even worse in in another in another area. So you know, at this point, you have um, the Klansmen confraternity. Uh, also, which is seems like a very strange origin story for an African student confraternity. Let me just say, um, but anyway, no, no, you know, no disrespect to them. So the Klansmen confraternity formed the group uh, DBAM, meaning Be Strong, to fight. And this is the first sort of militia group in the in the Delta area, and the, you know they're competing uh, in the in the late nineties and early two thousands for uh, control of the political organizations. Uh, all of the the under the table oil money, which is huge, and the oil smuggling business, as well as the kind of royalties that uh, Shell and other companies recognise needs to be paid to local groups. So I think at one point Shell was saying um, they were paying the kidnapping fees of over seventy employees a year in uh, in the in the River Delta area. Which is presumably a pretty sub substantial sum of money. Anyway, the the SVC react to the formation of DBAM with the with the group DWell, um, which is uh, made up of former sort of Biafran militia and led by an incredible figure, the most recent Viking king, Akete Tom, who is uh, who became a, a, a king of the uh, Igjor people shortly after kind of uh, resigning from. Uh, uh, leading uh, D-Well for many years. Uh, you have a, a splinter group of D-Well called the, the Outlaws, which are also under the SVC, although they would later go on to fight them uh, due to sort of ethnic uh, tribal uh, com conflicts there. And then you have the um, the Icelanders, again, another, another militia group uh, that the SVC formed. So at, at first, the Klansmen kind of had the upper hand, the SVC splinters into all of these different 
uh, sort of pan-ethnic militia groups, and they're actually they're able to take advantage of the kind of um, multi-ethnic way they kind of cut across backgrounds a little bit there. So I believe you know a lot a large number of them are Igbo, but they are able to kind of mobilize disenfranchised minorities in the river state who are kind of cut out of this oil money and they're pissed and they're willing to fight for the SPC, leading to the, the present situation which is where you have you know a third of the the House of Parliament effectively in the river state owned by the Vikings and, and as I was saying they, they called the Vikings nest. They return to sort of a, a relative um, period of dominance as we now live. And, and just to clarify, this, this is like, these conflicts are brutal. So for example, the, the capital of the river state, which is not um, Port Harcourt, which is the, the sort of epicenter of, um, of Viking behavior. I, I can't remember the name of the capital of um, the river state, but its population declines by 90% during these gang wars. And um, the, the, the average price of real estate for an, for an acre of real estate goes down from about £50,000 to £500. So this is a, like a devastating <laughs> uh, gang war that like, you know, drives huge amounts of population out of towns, like massively reduces um, uh, the, the value of real estate in these areas. And, it, and it's going on today. You know, I, ju I, I checked the... Um, the news for SVC conflict in recent years, and just in April last year, two dozen people were killed in one week of, of fighting between the Black Axe and the SBC. So the, you know, these conflicts uh, continue to this day, although the Klansmen confraternity seems to have been surpassed, and the SVC are now kind of locked in a, in a struggle with their rivals, the, the hideous, nefarious Black Axe confraternity. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Port Port Harcourt is the capital of River State, so you're right. Oh, it is. I thought that there's supposed to be another province called like another I city. Think, yeah, I think there's another big city that I think housed um, yeah. another another very influential university. I forget which one it was though. Basically, the the second city of Port Harcourt is the one that kind of declined drastically. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to look for it. But yeah, I guess um. It's also important to note how important Tom uh, or TK Tom is, because he he's such a central figure to this whole thing too, at least in the more um, recent events of it. I don't know if you can how much you can speak to a TK Tom. Um, he's a fascinating figure. I I, I wish I knew more of the saga of TK Tom. Um, there there is some such thing. So his his primary lieutenant in uh, D-Wall, Sabomba George uh, would go on to be uh, the leader of the Outlaws, who I mentioned, who would then kind of fight against You do have this kind of like, you know, his rebellious subordinate was, was locked in a brutal struggle with him for, for many years uh, before Sabomba George was eventually murdered. And um, so the, the, the thing to think about with Akechi Tom is he is both a member of the SVC fighting for kind of material interest and a kind of residue of the Nigerian civil war where most, he's, you know, he's, he's kind of in a, a Biafran nationalist uh, group and his eventual laying down of arms in, I believe, 2008 was uh, remarked on as, as the perfect birthday gift by the president of the time of, of Nigeria. And, uh, and he then, you know, he goes on to be crowned as, uh, as the last Viking king 
in uh, world history. And, you know, he lives to this day. He's, he's 59. He has yeah. a very stylish Instagram account. Um, and, you know, he, by all accounts, is living his best life. So... <laughs> That's right. There's a... I was looking up a little bit about him, and there's an article from 2016 where he was, um, he came out and he's like addressing rumors that he's dead. And he's like, nope, I'm very much alive, healthy and hearty and hale, is words he used. Ah, phenomenal. A modern modern day King Aun. Um, Yeah. We should drop his socials in the show notes or something like that. Yeah. Let me find it. I can put it in the chat. But yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of uh, schisms, and uh, a lot of a lot of fighting, uh, a lot of competition. But uh, but how does this extend to um, outside of Nigeria? Well, I mean, you know, so the SBC are known as Niger Catalina, I believe, in the in the Italian drugs trade. So, like you know, many other groups, I mean, Black Axe is the most prominent, unfortunately. Uh, in this uh, globally in this area but you know the the SVC they they still keep the hand in they're pretty pretty adept you know the old drug and sex trafficking um, you also have so I think we should mention as well the uh, the DNKI the Dan Norseman Club uh, which is quite interesting so these these guys they're a registered charity in the UK uh, I've looked up their page on the uh, the British government website they only have a registered income of six thousand pounds they're clearly not doing too well but anyway, they claim that they are an entirely separate organization uh, from from the so, Vikings. So what they're like the like the sons of Norway, but for Nigerians in the UK. Yeah, <laughs> but they're, they're they're definitely still still mainly active in Nigeria. So they're supposed to be. They claim that they're kind of carrying on the flame of um, of the initial pirates. You know what I mean? They're they're like their logo is uh, service to humanity. Although suspiciously, they still have the exact same crossed axes with duty na duty on them, or do your duty, that is the logo of the SBC. And they still have identical colors, and they still drink uh, the same rum, and they apparently go to the same parties. But they claim they're an entirely separate organization. Totally different, yeah. Dedicated to yeah, of course, yeah. charitable giving. I have seen, they have one video of them giving away a fridge. Uh, <laughs> in in rural Nigeria, that is the only evidence I've seen of any of this. Um, but uh, yeah, we. Could... If I was Nigerian, I would like a fridge. I think that would be very useful in that yeah. kind of thing. No, one, no one can doubt the the charitable intentions of that act. I mean, it's a <laughs> it's a wonderful thing to be given, no doubt. I, I, I you know, a a more cynical person than I might have suspicions that uh, Den Orsman Club is not, in fact, truly distinct from the Supreme Vikings confraternity. One might even suggest that it would be, it's a wing of uh, the Supreme Vikings and their polite fiction that allows certain members to, uh, to attain public office and sort of, you know, maintain their innocence in court. But obviously, that, that, you know, that would be a far more cynical perspective than any of us have here. How dare you? Yeah, we have no reason to assume this, no. Besmirch the fine name of the Norseman Club. Sorry to interject, but as I was editing this episode, I became aware that uh, this parallel organization, or more realistically, a wing of the Vikings confraternity, the so-called De Norseman Club, 
organized some sort of conference or homecoming event called Thorsberg. And I've been trying to dig a little bit, but I cannot find any logical explanation for the naming here, except that it's in reference to the wetland sacrifices at Tulsberg or Moor, or Tulsberg Musa, where a massive amount of war gear and different other objects were deposited in the 3rd century AD, yielding, for example, the famous Thorsberg helmet, and some pretty significant textile finds. In fact, if you try to Google Thorsberg in connection to the Norseman Club, any relevant search results are going to be completely buried by web pages that talk about the archaeological site. I managed to find one single reference online to a certain Thorsberg Marine Patrol, which at face value appears to be a chapter of uh, the Norseman Club. But again, the lack of references online also kind of supports this general idea that Hugo was talking about, that this is uh, maybe just a front for the Vikings confraternity. Um, yeah, other than that, uh, you know, I mean, I actually, I think I was going to bring up too. They love dance. Uh, maybe we could talk a little bit about gyrating. Oh, we That's could a huge thing for them. The raw Viking gyrations. Yes, yes. In, uh, in, in two hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two hour. Some of, their, some of their music almost reminds me of it's in um it, it's. It's along the same vein as how kind of Heilung produces their music because it's, <laughs> it's, like, it's like a Nigerian Heilung. I mean, there's in the background, it's all sounds of like Nigerian wildlife and them, I'm sure they're speaking in uh, much code, but it's very similar because it doesn't follow typical like typical ABAB song structure. It's very different from what you typically would expect to hear, mm. but there's a lot of it out there and people make a lot of it. Yeah, we gotta we gotta post some clips maybe. I'll, sure, add, I'll sure. add some music to this episode. We'll, we'll break it up into little. It's very. It feels half like a field recording of one of the uh, the sallies as yes, they it does. The, the meetings of the the SVC. It sounds kind of half sort of field recording of people standing around shouting slogans at each other, and then they'll kind of break into a chorus with gun sounds maybe you know and, uh, and some other yeah, stuff. I mean, it's that's why i like it at the highland because highland has all those like yeah. <laughs> all, all these spears and all that and this is it's it's along the same similar vein which is you, you hear the right. weapons and i'm sure a yeah. sally in the svc is just as immersive a performance <laughs> yeah <laughs> maybe we can get them scheduled at red rocks <laughs> <laughs> oh my god there are so many uh parallels to uh to what is going on in, in well, well, all of this is going on in present day, of course, but... Uh, yeah, the, the, uh, the amount of synchronicities like, with Scandi Future is uh, mind That's true. Yeah, what else haven't we covered so far? Uh, um, I mean, we did find... There's some interesting interviews on the structure of the of the Supreme Vikings confraternity. Um, it did manage to, uh, to get someone to sit down and talk to them kind of anonymously. Yeah, there's been a fair, like a handful of interviews, haven't there? Yeah, there's there's a few. So, well, a lot. Obviously, most uh, participants in the interviews claim that you know either the SPC remains an entirely humanitarian student organization, or that they're part of the Norseman Club, and that is you know, obviously a well-respected international charity. Um, but the hierarchy, according to a 2008 interview with the SPC member, uh, with an SPC member, is uh, so you have the each strike force has is organized according to the eight legs of Odin. Presumably they mean the eight legs of Sleipnir. But anyway, uh, the, so you have the skull executioner. 
uh, hopefully, we, I, I, I choose to believe that this is kind of a corruption of Skull Executioner. But, uh, it's yeah, I, I was thinking the same. Like, it's, it's uh, it, I, well, that's what I want it to be. Like, it's a uh, corruption of Skull. But, uh, but it's, it's probably Skull because Skull just immediately sounds very cool. And, Sadly, and that's yeah. probably true. But uh, hopefully we can, we can think that, you know, both, both, both are true. Well, if it was an American organization, it would be Skull, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you have the governor, the deputy governor, the pilot, the ship captain, arc mate, treasure man, and the PRO. I have no idea what PRO stands for. But uh, again, if, you're, if you are an Nigerian Viking, call in. Um, so many questions. Yeah, the, the, the logo is uh, Duty Na Duty, which appears on two axes. And uh, that apparently means do your duty. And this is presumably a reference to the pirate slogan of orders is orders. So, you know, the, the orders are orders. And you know, don't disobey the hierarchy and, uh, and do your duty. Um, um, color the, the subsidiary groups. More elements of the lingo. I, again, I, I am desperate to find out about Inner Chester, Inner Brute. If you are an Nigerian Viking, email, call, fax, whatever, whatever you've got to hand, let us know. It's so hard to, it's hard to penetrate most of it, too. Yeah, let us know the meaning of Inner Chester, Inner Brute. My working theory is that this is a reference to the Viking conquest of Chester, and uh, and and they're claiming the the lineage from Brutus, uh, elaborated by Geoffrey of Monmouth, uh, and that this now belongs to the SBC. Uh, that's that's my working assumption. If you have more information, <laughs> please let me know. We did we did find out as well that the founder of the SBC is a history student. So again, if you have a copy of the 1984 Catalina University history syllabus. <laughs> Please let us know the contents of the Viking module. <laughs> yeah, how many, how many courses hours, credit hours? <laughs> so yeah. we can get a yeah. sense of uh, of the knowledge base. It's just uh, just one synchronicity after the other. It's just these are like the, these these Niger futurists, man. It lines up so well. Well, of course, if they were really Niger futurists, they would be probably like leaning into. Some, they would they wouldn't be looking to Scandinavia now, would they? Uh, that would, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Otherwise, it it kind of adds up pretty pretty well. Um, yeah. yeah. Are there any other etymological observations? We covered most of them, I think. Ar I mean, we could go more into Aro, I guess, because that has links to like the Aro people who were, if I'm not mistaken, like the they're, they're a subgroup of Igbo. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should yeah we should talk a little bit about that because uh, yeah. I think initially because Aro uh, on in their greeting like Aro mates. Right, which is actually uh, like it could be either. But yeah, for them to specifically it, spell it R-O, too, is... Yeah, because it's, like, it's not that close to, say, Ahoy or something like that. Yeah. You know? so. It definitely seems to function as Ahoy in the, yeah. in the context. Like, I don't know. My, my speculation that this is a reference to the Arrow, to the Arrow people um, is purely because I cannot find any other translation um, of it as a greeting. And it would kind of fit with the you know, nationalist, pan-African, um, kind of anti-British impetus of the initial confraternities that you would, you know, you would refer to this indigenous group. Um, but again, I, I'm not exactly sure because it's, 
it is that would be antithetical in a certain sense to the to the pan tribal way that the confraternities operate and and yeah. the SBT in particular who had great success in cutting across tribal lines in the Niger Delta so you know I, I, remains to be confirmed the uh, the origins of Arrow um, yeah that's why like I could also see it just plainly being like a warping of trying to like mimic a British accent I mean, Arrow Arrow might it, it just it warps into that it's so easily so I feel like it could be either or both at the same time. I mean, it's yeah. so many of the neologisms they use. They could have so many meanings that any of the guesses we have could all be equal. Yeah, I mean, it's so hard to penetrate. Yeah, if, if uh, people of European descent are allowed to have, uh, you know, racist caricature accents, why couldn't other yeah. people? Take exactly, yeah. Well, I'm sadly, I cannot share this with you, but I have for myself a, a, a treat now here at the end. I have the, <laughs> the Aromates uh, Domaine de l'Ircadet. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, but this is, um, this is a wine from Alsace. Uh, it, it's written exactly like the greetings, like uh, A-R-O-M-A-T-E. But I don't know how to pronounce it. Aromate or something like that. But I, I choose to call it Aromates uh, de l'Ircadet. 80% Gewürztraminer, no, 80% Muscat and 20% Gewürztraminer. Wow. So, yeah, I've been saving this since, ever since we started talking about this topic. Um, and, and this is something that's been a long time coming. We've been talking about making this episode for quite a while. Over um, a year, I think. And, yes, and, and yeah. we, we even started a Valheim server uh, in parallel with this that was not intended to be a, a kind of a colloquium to discuss this but it became that automatically because uh, the vikings confraternity has become such a integral part of of uh, the power walking club inner lore <laughs> yeah. uh, to the point that we've we've actually integrated uh their their lingo into into our communications and our usernames and so on so i so yeah i'm gonna try to review this wine here sounds like a a melange of cultural influences, just like the uh, the SBC itself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. it really is. It's an amalgam. Mm. Okay, so I'm so I'm um, I poured the wine into a glass here. I'm getting a lot of apricots. Tastes like uh, like um, tastes like it's eighty percent muscat and twenty percent gewürztraminer. I don't know what to <laughs> what to say beyond that. Slight notes of uh, Niger Delta crude oil. Yeah, well, like it's got this kind of like gasoline kind of uh, uh, thing, Va Vaseline. Yes. Wadi Wadi Vaseline. Other than that, yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's, it's it's a decent enough wine. Not 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 the sort of wine I would go for necessarily, but it's. Uh, but I, I think the Odin guided me to this moment on his eight legs. Perhaps. Yeah, well, yeah, at least one of his eight legs. One of the eight. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it seems very synchronistic. <laughs> yeah, I do really love that detail that it's like they're not even talking about, you know, the horse. We're just inserting like Sleipner because we, because our, because yeah. our blinkers, our prejudices that, the, that they must be talking about the horse and not the deity itself. Yeah. <laughs> I would might very well have ate. Anything else we want to say before we wrap it up? For me, there's there's two questions that, that spring to mind on the SVC in the context of Stanley Futurism. First, 
is this a paganism? Is um, it your paganism? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is this an instance of her paganism? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and the other question is, you know, to what extent are, is this really a cult? Like, how do I think? I don't know. If it, maybe I'm speaking for my own personal obsessions, but like uh, my interest is like, what is the way that this kind of Viking mutation aesthetic is playing into the metaphysical beliefs of uh, of people in these groups. So I, there's <laughs> two arenas to expand on there, maybe. Yeah, I mean, um, if we go back to like, I don't know, if we use cult in the, how should I say, non... Uh, in the sense that uh, that is kind of non-mainstream and more scholarly, I think that maybe yeah, I've, we could probably shoehorn it into into that, couldn't we? Like if we're talking about like say like the martial cult of the Nordic Iron Age or something like that, that we would probably usually say like the cult of Odin or something. But it's probably like more accurate to talk about like a like a a, a more habitus and lifestyle associated with the cult, and and that Odin is just like one, you know, a central figure there. Cultic um, beliefs versus a cult. Yeah, uh, but it, it's cultic in the sense that it it is uh, you know if we're talking about like the cultic milieu you know with uh, with like as a as a countercultural movement that sees itself sort of like moving at the edges of society or something like that like it's uh, so in that regard we could you know it's it's evidently cultic but uh, yeah it's very it follows the undercurrents. Which again, very Dionysian. Yeah, but it's not like a cult in the sense that, like, we say that the Manson family is a cult. I mean, Quite different than the Western understanding. Yeah. The the reading I've been doing on um, this book, Brian, the power of ritual in prehistory: uh, secret societies and the origins of social complexity, uh, by Brian Hayden, has kind of a unique. He would he would call all of these organizations in 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 Nigeria shrines that I've been talking about the uh, all the various juju groups. They would come under his header of secret society and he effectively argues that um you you don't need to believe in any of the sort of metaphysical dogma propagated by these cults you know uh, by these secret societies so they they he argues that it's effectively a way of creating uh, a surplus of resources and that this this kind of dynamic kind of recurs you know he did the, the study goes from Native Americans, Can you know, Canadian First Nations, so the Hamatsa, uh, there's a lot in Africa, the, the indigenous uh, Aboriginal people in Australia. Um, and he said the commonality is that these groups are fundamentally concerned with increasing their own power. And he says that, you know, this was, this was studied a bit in the 1890s to 1940s, but then these secret societies kind of get relegated and you just get these kind of functionalist uh, interpretations of, of their purpose. So, like I was saying before, you just say like, "Oh, these these cults functioned as a as a judicial system in these early tribal societies, and they they would check some balances on the power of the chiefs and so on." He said, "That's by all ethnographic accounts, that is entirely false, and these groups are powerful groups uh, that wield instruments of terror to uh, increase uh, their their standing and uh, generate greater surpluses for themselves." Um, and I think the SVC quite clearly operates in that tradition. So, you know, the, the, his argument is like, you know, many people when asked in, in sort of Native American societies or, or these uh, West African groups, 
don't actually believe. So the, the Poro in Sierra Leone is a great example. So most people do not believe in the in the metaphysical you know powers of the Poro. The, the thing is, if you if you say that you don't, you just get killed <laughs> by <laughs> by members of the cult. So it it doesn't you know the, the, I think when we well that's what I would do if 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 any of you tell me that you don't <laughs> believe in hidden folk or trolls. Oh. Yeah. So the external pressure of these secret societies is is it's kind of irrelevant whether you were sent to the, the metaphysical premise or not. This is just it's just kind of expedient. And uh, and he will say, look, you'll just emphasize some element of um, of the culture prior. And this will be made central to the secret society. Maybe everyone knows this. You know what I mean? Maybe this this secret knowledge, this higher initiation, is completely well known. But if you said it again, you will be killed. The main uh, the main way these groups operate is to distribute terror uh, among the populace in order to sort of aggrandize certain individuals who often uh, function as the ruling class. Um, you know, very Marxist interpretation. But I think. In that sense, if we understand these kind of shrines and so on, and the, the, the cults, as the, the British administration refers them as, as secret societies that are kind of, you know, using violence and a veneer of metaphysical ritual to kind of attain immense power in the, in the area, then, then the SVC fits perfectly into that, into that category. I really like that characterization of it, too. It uses kind of... Like like you said, Marx with dialectical materialism, um, it, it's 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 like they kind of form their own um, bubble of perceived reality because whether or not you believe in it, everything that's happening around you to a very extreme degree, as you see with the violence, is happening in accordance with that whole metaphysical framework. Um, so the, the the people who are pulling the strings, uh, they they act in accordance with it. So everything around you, whether or not it's a, a personal belief, is transpiring. In accordance with that, so it's and of course that works to kind of create resource surplus and basically float up people. Yeah, I mean, there are so many directions we could take this. Like, like the hyperstition just like really like yeah. manifests itself here. Yeah, it feels like a like a seedbed to the the a, a finale to the Valhalla episode series. You know, like, <laughs> like yeah. just to, as a as a distorted lens to approach the phenomena of, of you know, like so-called Norse, old Norse yeah. religion or religiosity, you know. Valhalla mm. is a place God. on earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that was going to be like, the, that was like, I never, well, the, the Valhalla series episode that never got made where I was going to talk about uh, as many manifestations of Valhalla as I could, like in terms of like tributes and stuff like that, because you have like, I don't know, in, in Staten Island, there was a fucking... Uh, cemetery for norwegian americans that was called valhalla burial grounds there's a town called valhalla in upstate new york um or not that much upstate just right north of new york city actually right north of manhattan uh which is based on like this it was originally like a holiday resort or something like that uh there's a valhalla like somewhere in the midwest which is like this parthenon looking as uh in germany of course there's a Valhalla that is just like a hall, hall of fame for like great Germans or something and it doesn't have any military connotation whatsoever interestingly enough but uh, yeah I digress sorry was I'm there trying a... to think if there's anything else yeah yeah was there I'm like I, yeah I think like Hugo said something that was it was kind of twofold uh, like yeah we started talking about one thing but I don't know if we touched on the other 
Um, well, I, 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 I agree with the description of this as kind of dialectical materialism. I mean, it's, it's just a profound, I found this book, that book, a profoundly depressing way of, <laughs> yeah. of, of interpreting like uh, prehistory that it's this kind of horrible, you know, brutal oppression of everyone who's not in the secret society with, um, and you know, all these, these fun metaphysical beliefs that we like to talk about are just these like horrific instruments of, of social control that kind of be, that can be chopped and changed <laughs> yeah. uh, as you will. I mean, you know, it's, um, I don't know if I agree with the fully, but it's an interesting argument. It reminds me of uh, the scene in Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> where upon visiting their first city, uh, the narrator exclaims, civilization, ancient and wicked. <laughs> 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 so, you know, may maybe that is entirely true of all things, and uh, the SBC uh, no less than others. Yeah, uh, we're just seeing it kind of unfold in real time. I guess, but uh, at a at a distance where we are, you know, it's probably not very funny for people who are locked in yeah. these conflicts. But we're sitting here from across the seas, um, just we, finding this kind of odd and interesting. We can but kind it's of have like, a meta perspective. Yeah, and it's like I don't know, like I've I've said many times before, like uh, saw saw Neil Price talking at a at a conference or something, and during like the smoking break, he just kind of like you know said uh, like we're so interested and you know enamored by these cultures but uh living in them <laughs> must have sucked in so many so many ways you know and uh yep. especially to us who like uh, come from a culture that is so different right you know if, if we had been like zapped back in time uh we would have seen so many things that uh that just go kind of against our sense of uh of what ethics. is fair in life you yeah. know so. the modern sense of ethics which i guess brings in the whole walking backwards into the future. Ah, yeah, yeah, I was about yeah, to say, yeah. like, 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 uh, I was, I was about to make a different joke about that, though, like, uh, in yeah. terms of, like, they went from pirates and they were regressing to Vikings and stuff like that, so they're really, like, <laughs> yeah. walking backwards into the, into the future in that sense, like, in a more banal sense. Uh, yeah. But walking it, backwards into the past. Yeah. No, but it's, it's funny, though, also, like, that kind of, uh, the flamboyant displays and stuff like that made me also think about, like, you know, that, um, episode that, uh, the Secret History of a Western Esotericism podcast. Oh, Schwepp. Yeah, Schwepp's great. And they have a, they have an episode on on uh, cultic secrecy or like esoteric secrecy. I don't remember quite. They might have. I think I, I'm still making his making my way through um his Plato and Porphyry stuff. But he talks about like Enigma as a re revealing of esoteric um, yeah. ideas. Where it's like things have to be like I I mean like I've I've been initiated into a secret society <laughs> not, not like a, like not, not like like an amazingly cool one it's pretty but like you know just like in terms of like uh you know say the the ordo temple orientis and stuff like that you know anybody can join there you know and it's it's full yeah. of secrets and stuff like that but like any other organization like the the masons or stuff like that rosicrucians you know, you, were a big one i was part of the rosicrucians a few years ago yeah oh nice nice yeah through the official rosicrucians you can you get a card and everything and they send you like transcripts and tons of sessions with like, it's it's a whole whole thing. It was very interesting to kind of peek yeah, into. See, 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 the Scandi futurists are are the hidden elites that rule the world. Yeah, uh, we will be pulling the strings. <laughs> yeah, we're the puppet masters. Uh, but but yeah, no, it's like funny because like there's this whole like you know everything is so secret you know, but you can just Google the, you can just Google the rituals like if you want to 
cheats, you know. <laughs> you can They're all public, like if yeah. you're wondering like, wow, well, what is it, what happens if I if I reach the third degree? Well, you can just like it's just a Google search away. And and all of the symbol like it's all about like flaunting and, and stuff like that, which of course it feels like a lot of it too is like almost protection mechanism for oral tradition because so much of it isn't written down where it's like if you talk about it, it's going to get corrupted. So we have to maintain this uttermost air of secrecy. Yeah, and if you think something is cool, well, you don't you don't actually want it to to just like perish because some guy forgot to squeal, right? You know, it's like <laughs> so you, you just drop little hints uh, hints about it uh, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that's the uh, the true curse of modernity. You can no longer put on an alligator mask, sneak out into the night, and murder the person sharing a pink hat. <laughs> The inner yeah. secrets of uh, the OTO. Yeah. <laughs> the degraded age we inhabit, alas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spiritual warfare has been put to rest. Or the uh, or the 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 unspeakable uh, the unspeakable cults of the Scandi futurists too. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah. Nobody must uh, reveal the this the, <laughs> the stuff that we do off yeah, no. off the record. Don't let anybody learn about the aplings. No. Yeah. Yeah. We'll kill you. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, this was uh, this was fantastic. Uh, we should all give ourselves a round of applause, especially Hugo. Hugo, you should uh, yes. clap clap to yourself, uh, and I'll I'll add a a wave file or something like that from the Norwegian sitcom or something like that, so the audience can actually hear them clapping. And, yeah. uh, People who aren't in the Discord too. There's so many Hugo. All your notes are fantastic in the Discord. Hugo should be running the the podcast because he's a lot more. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's it's you know it's a sad state of affairs in modern academia when independent independent researchers like ourselves are forced to tackle such a you know exciting uh, subject as this. I mean I I'm shocked that every university in Norway does not already have a chair of comfort fraternological studies. Confraternology. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. They should make a postgraduate program for that. Yeah, well, you know, if they, yeah, they know where to find us. Sure. Yeah. Between the four of us, we could probably like, uh, yeah, we could maybe infiltrate a university or something like that, and and we can, we can make we can make the dream reality also outside of Nigeria. Okay, well, I'm gonna end the recording right there. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's good. International Converge. It's gonna be fun, educative, and exciting. Featuring sports competition, award and gala night, public lecture, rifle draw, and of course, humanitarian activities. Team Nigeria, what next? The solution. Host, His Excellency, Chief Doctor Adeshola Giwa, the International President, the Nonsman Club International. Date 7th to 12th December 2021. Venue, Concord Hotel, Owere, Imo State. Tosberg 2021. It's gonna be fun. Don't miss the excitement and brotherly love. Norseman, are you? Are you?
powered by DNKITV Network. Every no spangle on 